Hello again everyone. Welcome back to our series on the Holy Spirit. And we have begun to embark now on a mini-series on the gifts of the Spirit. And today we're going to look at the fact that these gifts are to edify the body of Christ. And we're going to read a few verses from the beginning of chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians. And Paul says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. This is important just to point this out, that if you're reading a version like mine, you will see that the word gifts is actually in italics. And in my version, that signifies that the translators have added this word in order to help us understand. And it is very helpful. However, if you're to read it without that word, you would read, Now concerning spirituals, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. And of course, these people came from a pagan, uh, very often a spiritualist type of background, and they were familiar with spiritual power. Although they served dumb idols, gods that couldn't speak or communicate and effectively had no power. And so um, what Paul is saying here is you're coming to a God who is powerful, a God who can do stuff because he is El Shaddai, he is the almighty God. But I want you to understand that there's a principle here. We, we need to be aware of how our background and that could be the teaching that we've been under or the experiences we've had, spiritual or lack thereof, how our background affects how we view spiritual, spiritual gifts. So we could have a materialist background where we just kind of live as if all that's real is matter and the things we can see and touch with our physical senses and we don't kind of regard um, the gifts of the Spirit. And that's often how uh, a large section of the church has been taught but then we could be superstitious and we could fall into the opposite extreme, which is that we're almost pagan in our view of spiritualism and we view spiritual power in an unhealthy way, really as a power base for us to get things done, to control things, to set ourselves up in prominence. So the broad principle that Paul gives us here in verse 3 is, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus a curse, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Does how I'm operating in these gifts, does it glorify the real Jesus, or does it draw attention to me? As we'll see as we go through uh, today's study, Another litmus test is, is it edifying the church or is it just making me prominent and look good? And there's great confusion in the church at Corinth, of course, I'm sure you're aware of that. And there was a lot of disorder there. And we see this in verse 4 um, through to 7. Paul says, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. And down to verse 11. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. And it appears that there was a competitiveness that was in the church at Corinth 
in this, these spiritual giftings. Uh, everybody wanted to be heard. And there was resentment and jealousy of gifts that, that, that uh, you didn't have yourself, but another had. And Paul's at pains to point out, listen, it's the same spirit. It's the same Lord that is operating through you all. Verse 7 bears this out well. The manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. And uh, Romans 12 verse 6 says something similar. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them if prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. So there's a grace that has been given to us. We saw last time that these are charisms, grace gifts, charismata. That they're not earned, they're not coming out of our performance or abilities, but they're given to us by God as he wills to the body. Verse 11, one and the same spirit works all things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. It is God's divine prerogative in the Holy Spirit to give these spiritual gifts out to whomever he pleases, to the profit of all. These gifts are not for selfish enjoyment, whilst there, there is a benefit to ourselves in them, they do build us up, but essentially they are for the edification of the body of Christ one another and we see this word come up um, over and over again in these passages if you look at verse uh, 3 through 5 of chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians but he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to man he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself but he who prophesies edifies the church. I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied, for he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. And edification is just a big word for building others up. Verse 12 of the same passage, Even so, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel and down to verse 17 again for you indeed give thanks well but the other is not edified if another person is left unedified we've missed the point of spiritual gifts and verse 26 uh, how is it then brethren whenever you come together each of you has a psalm has a teaching has a tongue has a revelation has an interpretation let all things be done for edification so you see that we are given these gifts to build one another up, not set ourselves on a pedestal. And therefore love must be the motivation of the exercise of spiritual gifts. As we saw last week, uh, Warren Wearsby's put it well, a worship gathering should lift up the Lord, build up the saints, that's edification, but not puff up the participants. And what was happening here was the, the, the giftedness and the revelation the Corinthians had was serving to puff them up and, and they were not in humility and there was now a division in the body. Now we saw that in chapter 1, verse 10 through 13, the very introduction of this epistle, Paul says, I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? 
Of course, the body of Christ is not meant to be divided. And it's certainly not God's intention that spiritual gifts should divide the church. That charismata should divide those who don't believe in it from those who do. And that even among those who do believe in these charisms and operate in them, that the, the, the pride of your giftedness should divide you from others who have different gifts. And here we see this was the case in Corinth. Going back to chapter 12, we see that they were divided in the use of their spiritual gifts. Verse 15, If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, Because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? You see, they needed to come to terms with this fact that they had various gifts and they were all essential for the body. Reading on verse six, uh, verse 18, But now God has set the members, each one of them in the body, just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Now just imagine this for a moment. It's farcical, I know, but it illustrates it well. If if a member of your physical body declares independence from, from the other parts of your body, there's going to be a problem. Imagine if your leg decides, I'm going off in my own direction and the rest of the body doesn't get the, the memo. Division in the body causes weakness and even can cause great pain. And sadly today, through factions, through often a, a spirit, at times of denominationalism, there can be great bo- uh, body weakness and body pain and brokenness in the body of Christ that is meant to be united by his character and his charismata, his power. Gifts were never to set you apart for adulation and praise or your group apart, but rather they were given to build one another up because we are all part of one body. Look at verse 12 to 14 of chapter 12. For as the body is one and as many members, but all the members are of that one body, being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact the body is not one member, but many. One body with many members with diverse abilities. And therefore, if spiritual giftedness is going to display the power manifestly so of God within his church, love must be the motivation of both our seeking these gifts and our using them. And that is why 1 Corinthians 13 is sandwiched here right between Paul's explanation of gifts in chapter 12 and 14. Because love is what is essential to the, to the true operation of these gifts that will edify the body. And this is borne out and reflected. The spiritual gifts are reflected in 1 Corinthians 13. Verse 1. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. That's the gift of tongues. 
you know, if love, if I'm using the gift, and it could be the genuine gift, but not in love, it, it's just a noise. It's unhelpful. Verse 2, and though I have the gift of prophecy, well, that's obvious what that is, understand all mysteries and knowledge. Well, surely that's discernment and the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge. Though I have faith, all faith, so that I could remove mountains. Well, that's the gift of faith, isn't it? But have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, the gift of service, I suppose, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. And so we could be the most, as Corinth was, the church in Corinth, the most gifted, charismatic church with all utterance, knowledge and power. And yet because there was an absence of love towards one another and they weren't using these gifts to edify one another, it's not that the gifts were counterfeit, but the gifts were not serving the purpose for which God designed them. To build up the body and to value one another. And at the end, of course, of 1 Corinthians 13 now abide faith, hope and love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. The spiritual gifts will pass away when Jesus returns, but the, the thing that lasts is love. And whatever love does will last as well. Now, sometimes spiritual gifts are pitched against the fruit of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit against spiritual gifts, but it's it's not either or, it's both and. And this is borne out in verse 1 of chapter 14. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but essentially that you may prophesy out of the spiritual gifts, uh, desire prophecy, but pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. Uh, at the end of chapter 12, Paul said, earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. And the more excellent way was the way of love. Now, no doubt some people's gifting can take them further than their character will sustain them. And we see that a great deal within the church. Someone's very charismatic in the literal sense uh, and also in a personality sense. And their gifting ability takes them farther than their, than their character has been able to keep them. And so we must cultivate the fruit of the Spirit because that is the nature and character of God. But we need both. Because the fruit of the Spirit displays divine character, but the gifts of the Spirit display divine power. And what use is it having a God of love who doesn't have power to change our lives and do something about our predicament? We need both. David Pawson put it like this. If gifts without fruit is inadequate, fruit without gifts is ineffective. If gifts without fruit is inadequate, fruit without gifts is ineffective. And he goes on to illustrate it like this. Imagine a fruit-filled Christian has a sick friend in a hospital. And he shows love by visiting him. He shows peace by calming his fears. Joy by cheering him up. Patience by listening to the detailed account of his surgery. Kindness by removing his bedpan for him. Goodness by giving him a bunch of grapes. Faithfulness by visiting him every day. Meekness by leaving promptly when the nurse says visiting hours are over. And self-control but by not eating his grapes. But if he doesn't have the gifts of the Spirit, he just leaves his friend sick in hospital. He needs the gifts of the Spirit for that. 
I'm not suggesting everybody gets healed who's prayed for. I'm not saying that. We'll look at that later on uh, as we look at the specific gifts of healings, plural. But what we are saying is if we're going to make a difference in, in displaying the manifest power of God in the church today, that is done by the gifts of the Spirit. Now, we're going to look at each of these gifts as we, we go through them one by one. But I want to err a note of caution here because these gifts that Paul mentions here in chapter 14 are really mentioned only once. And therefore we have to be careful um, how we interpret them and don't read too much into them. And there are mentions of similar gifts in other places. But here we have these mentioned. Verse 8, For one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. Nine gifts mentioned, but we're not saying there's only nine spiritual gifts. These might be general abilities and, and various other ones might come out of them. And there are other scriptures that mention what seem to be different kinds of gifts. But Derek Prince puts this well. He says, Beware of drawing a hard, fast line between these gifts. It's like the colours of the rainbow. There's not one single point where you can say in the rainbow, for example, that violet ends and indigo begins, or indigo ends and blue begins. The colours of the rainbow, whilst distinct from a distance, they kind of blend into one another. And the gifts of the Spirit are a bit like that. So sometimes when they're displayed, we might stand back and ponder, was that a word of knowledge or was that a word of wisdom? There's very little difference between the two, but we'll explain that as we go through later on. Or was that a word of wisdom, knowledge, or was that actually prophecy? And there's very little to divide those in a sense. They're a bit like those colours in the rainbow. So let's not be too hard and fast, but come to the place of acknowledging that these gifts are real and they are necessary for the church. And though they can be abused at times like they were in Corinth, we need to find out how to use these in love to edify one another in the church because they're essential. As Randy Clark put it, if these gifts were necessary to the first Christians, how are the last Christians supposed to bring in the final great harvest without them? Why would we expect God to equip his people with power from on high at the start of the race and then leave them to crawl weak and empty across the finish line. Surely the rule of the kingdom of God is to keep the best wine until the last. And therefore we in the end of the age surely are not being given the, the leftover dregs. But rather we need everything that God gave the early church to begin the Great Commission so that we might complete it in the light of the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, I know some of you, I'm sure, are champing at the bit to get into each of these individual gifts. And hopefully next time we're going to look at the word of knowledge. But let's pray and let's make sure that as we seek earnestly these gifts as God's word commands us to, make sure that we do it in the right motive of love for each other, love for the body, and edification of others rather than just setting ourselves up as being the gifted ones. And so, Lord Jesus Christ, 
you who through your death and resurrection and ascension distributed gifts to men, we ask that as these gifts of the Holy Spirit are sought after by us, that, Lord, we will come with a spirit of love, the fruit of the Spirit, seeking these and sharing these with others to their building up in the body for your glory so that your life and your power might be manifested in our day and generation for your glory and for the extension of your kingdom. For your name's sake we pray, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you. See you next time.